I'm calling this sermon Crossing Frontiers with the Gospel and it's part of uh, our first apologetics week at St Saviour's at which we're looking at how uh, we can be persuaders of the Gospel in our current modern society. First of all, I'm going to begin by reading a Bible passage. This is from the Acts of the Apostles and it concerns Paul's visit to Athens and his encounter with uh, the philosophers and intellectuals of that city. So this is Acts chapter 17 and I'm commencing to read at verse 16. While Paul was waiting for them, that's his travelling companions, in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to dispute with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus, where they said to him, May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we want to know what they mean. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. Now, what you worship as something unknown, I am going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth, and does not live in temples built by hands. And he is not served by human hands, as if he needed anything, because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. From one man he made every nation of men, that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he determined the times set for them and the exact places where they should live. God did this so that men would seek him, and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by man's design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent, for he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to all men by raising him from the dead. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered, but others said, We want to hear you again on this subject. At that, Paul left the council. A few men became followers of Paul and believed, 
Among them was Dionysius, a member of the Areopagus, also a woman named Damaris, and a number of others. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for the gospel. We pray that day by day, in our everyday lives, we may have courage and faith and discernment to share that good news with those around us. To the glory of Jesus' name. Amen. As I've said, this begins uh, several weeks of uh, apologetics in our life together as a church in which we are studying various major themes which uh, occur as we talk with our friends and neighbours and as we try to make the, the gospel uh, accept, accessible to them. That's always about culture and this morning I want to talk about culture and the gospel. We are watching some remarkable and major events in, in our world at this time as we see daily uh, distressing pictures and images of many thousands of migrants trying to cross the Mediterranean to find a new life in Europe. Just this week we heard of half a million African migrants waiting in Libya looking for their opportunity uh, to find ways of crossing the Mediterranean in search of that new life. As we now know, most of them fall into the hands of ruthless traffickers and many lose their lives. It's a tragic and a shocking thing that we are observing. But we are living in a time of massive migration in which people are crossing frontiers, living in new contexts, seeking a new life, fleeing violence, fleeing persecution, seeking education, seeking a new life. And we live in an age in which cultures and languages and worldviews are in a state of flux uh, and in a state of, of um, mix that, uh, that perhaps we've not seen before. This offers new possibilities for the gospel and for the sharing of faith in Jesus because there is something about the Christian faith that makes it particularly potent and particularly uh, relevant to people as they are in liminal situations, as they are crossing frontiers, as they are changing from one way of life to another. There is something about the Christian message that makes it profoundly translatable. I have with me here a, a number of translations of the Bible which just illustrate the fact that the translation of the Bible has been a, a major feature of Christian activity and Christian mission over recent centuries. Is something lost when the Bible is translated? Of course it is. No translation uh, perfectly captures all the nuances and significance of the original. But from the very beginning, Christians have felt that it is of the first importance that people hear the gospel and hear the word of God in their mother tongue, in the language of their heart, in the language that they can receive most deeply 
and personally. Many of you will remember a slogan from years ago about Bible translation that spoke of being, of there being 2,000 tongues to go. And I imagine with all we know now about culture and language and dialect that the number is still pretty much the same or even higher. It's related in Christian understanding to the concept of incarnation because in Jesus, God took human flesh and despite his uh, universal nature and his universal concern and love for the human race, it was in a particular context, a particular time, in a particular man, in a particular nation, that he made himself known. The word was made flesh. And so it is that all human beings need to hear, discover, and find the living God in their own context, in their own mother tongue, in their own setting. And this is why Christian mission is always cross-cultural. It is always about translation. It is always about seeking to build bridges into the world views of other people. In this regard, Christianity is profoundly different to Islam. In Islam, God has spoken uh, in their understanding authentically uh, in the Quran and in uh, the Arabic language. The Quran cannot, in its strict sense, be translated. Um, it is only truly the Quran as it is, uh, as it remains in, in the Arabic language. Um, if it is in English or in some other language, which is a legitimate activity to translate it, it becomes something else. It becomes the meaning of the Quran or the message of the Quran or the Quran in such a language. And across the, the Muslim world, there are many millions of people who learn to recite the Quran without any real understanding of, of its meaning. To become a Muslim involves taking on another language, another culture, another worldview. It involves cultural conversion. Christianity is distinctive in that it, at its heart is the invitation to become a, an authentic disciple of Jesus Christ in your own culture and context and in the medium of your own language. This is at the heart of the book of Acts. Uh, Acts chapter 2, the account of the day of Pentecost, has this phrase which has become rightly renowned, where it speaks of each of us, each of those present, hearing the mighty acts of God in our own language. And that is not simply a description of what is happening at that moment, as on the day of Pentecost, uh, people wonderfully and miraculously hear what is going on in their own language. But it is also uh, a principle um, of what is to follow in the Book of Acts and in Christian history and in Christian mission, that everyone should hear the mighty acts of God in their own language. But language and culture are far more varied than we think. Each nation has, is itself a blend, a marriage of different cultures and heritages, traditions and, and worldviews. Uh, and languages themselves come in different dialects and, and, different, and different forms. 
even a church, a community like St Saviour's, has within it a number of different cultures and different outlooks. Even in Guildford, we have to learn to speak each other's language and to enter another's world. It's what we do whenever we seek to share from our hearts and to reach someone else in their inner selves. We have to cross a frontier that involves entering another world. There are two temptations in the business of sharing the gospel in this frontier-crossing way. Either we really do not engage with the process at all, we stay in our intellectual and religious lager, and we confuse our culture and our way of doing things with the gospel, in which case we, uh, the result can either be incomprehension, as other people observe and listen to us, or it means that uh, they have to accept our culture to come uh, within the circle of Christian community. The other temptation is where uh, the values and worldviews of another culture are simply baptised and are given Christian clothes and are not themselves transformed by the revelation that Christ brings to us and uh, the culture remains essentially unchanged. We call that syncretism. But Acts shows this process at work continually. Each of us hearing the mighty acts of God in our own language. And after the opening chapters from chapter 8 onwards, we see this unfolding in a remarkable, dramatic and varied way. First of all, as the gospel spreads into Samaria following the command of Jesus that the gospel should be taken from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so the gospel, first of all, goes to Samaria, where it has its first encounters with the occult and with superstition of various kinds, with religion that's, that has in profound ways been corrupted. It's there that we meet Simon Magus, the magician, the magi, the magus, and it is there that uh, the first really uh, real con conflicts of worldview take place. Later in the chapter, Philip the evangelist meets the Ethiopian, the representative from the fringes of the known world, the true outsider. And yet he becomes uh, the first representative of Christian faith reaching the ends of the earth. Following that, there's the story of Cornelius, an encounter which was so shaking uh, and tumultuous for Peter that it evoked in him deep feelings of, of nausea uh, as, as he learned to recognise that God's love in Christ reached out to all people in all cultures and that he had to be willing to go uh, with the gospel into those new places. And the great revolution uh, that happens next is when the believers running from Jerusalem in the wake of the uh, persecution following the death of Stephen decide to take the gospel not simply to Jews, not simply to Greek-speaking Jews, but to Greek people who had no Jewish orientation or foundation. Uh, a radical move across a cultural frontier saying this message is for you. The chapter we've uh, read a little bit earlier, Acts 17, shows this process at work, and it shows us actually two 
uh, quite contrasting models for this cross-cultural uh, apologetic, this sharing of the gospel. The verses we didn't read prior to the account of Athens concern Berea, where Paul and his friends come and in the first place meet a Jewish community uh, steeped in, in scripture, steeped in the Old Testament and its, and its prophetic uh, passages. And Paul works with them in the detailed study of scripture. For them, it is the, the encounter with God in Christ happens as they engage with, with the, the scriptures with which they were familiar. And in the book of Acts, they're commended for their nobility and their sincerity and their authenticity as they uh, encounter the scriptures. Paul goes on from there to Athens, and here what happens is very, very different because he's now moving in a pagan context, uh, a community that had very limited overlap with the Jewish community, uh, with intellectuals, philosophers, and uh, religionists who had little awareness and certainly no, no faith in the Hebrew scriptures and had a pagan worldview filled with gods, filled with religious alternatives, filled with religious and philosophical debate. Paul becomes, in Luke's account here, a model for us of, of how uh, the work of apologetics, the work of evangelism, the work of communicating the gospel uh, needs to take place when we're crossing radical frontiers into radically different worldviews. He is, in the first place, an acute observer. He is reflective. He is empathetic. He is listening and watching and he is trying to enter into the, uh, the longings and hungers of, of the people that he's mingling with. He's seeking to discern the spiritual hunger that lies behind the many idols, the many religious expressions that confront him. And he has one moment that has uh, particular significance for him because he sees in it the opportunity for a bridge. He sees in it an opportunity for exploration and discussion and for sharing something of Christ because he comes across an altar to the unknown God. And this becomes a means by which he can enter up discussion. What you worship as unknown, he says, I, have, I am here to proclaim to you. I am here to explain to you the one you worship but do not know. And in working along those lines, he showed, demonstrates his familiarity with local culture, with the poets of the people. He's able to use the very insights and the wisdom of the culture that he's trying to reach. And so he, in this way, is building bridges, uh, trying to make connections, trying to show that the Christian gospel is not an alien uh, intrusion on their world and lives, but is something which actually fulfills, uh, judges certainly, but also fulfills and, and uh, brings to completion the, the longings and the spiritual hungers of the people. And in this way is able to sow gospel seeds and he is able to speak of creation and the, the God of creation. He's able to speak of Christ. He's able to speak of the resurrection. That chapter would justify uh, much more study. It's very rich and uh, uh, 
a rich exploration of what Christian mission is about and Christian evangelism. It's helpful. It's helpful to us today as we reflect on uh, our own journey this week and in weeks to come as we reflect on the apologetic task, the task that we all have in some uh, more direct, others in more complex ways of making the gospel uh, accessible to, to those around us. Apologetics is not about defeating the enemy. It's not about proving people wrong but it's about learning to connect, to understand, to enter into the inner world of other people, to enter into their longings, their spiritual hungers. It's about true and profound sympathy, affection and encounter. And it's open to all of us, as we've discussed this morning. Uh, culture refers not, simp- not only to... Uh, the geographic uh, journey to places of other lands and other contexts and places, but it refers to crossing the frontier to our neighbour, crossing the frontier to our work colleagues, about wanting to enter their world and understand the world as they see it, to be incarnate, as it were, into their world, and to build bridges upon which they and gospel truth can meet. In doing that, we trust in the Holy Spirit to make the connections. And we trust in the Holy Spirit as the one who in those encounters and in our stumbling efforts makes Christ real and his message relevant to those with whom we are in conversation. So, just returning to where we started, we live in a world of extraordinary change, of migration, of the breaking down of frontiers, of, my, uh, of travel, immigration, refugees, and we will all increasingly live, live in a world in which we are meeting people uh, whose worldviews uh, are more diverse than we have ever experienced before. We need to be those willing to understand to enter into another's world and to seek by the grace of God and in the power of the Spirit to make Christ known.